I'm thankful for the opportunity today, as, as Pastor Cody mentioned, uh, Pastor Scott and his family are having a time, of wet, a time away on vacation, and so my prayer this week for them has been that they would just uh, be rested and refreshed and renewed, that they would get that true time of rest away and uh, feel refreshed and revived as they come back uh, from their vacation. And so uh, as I was thinking this week just about our pastors, I'm I'm thankful for a pastor, I don't know if anybody else relates with me this morning, but I'm thankful for a pastor who is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for a pastor uh, who doesn't sugarcoat the word of God, but I'm thankful for a pastor that leads the charge in a church that is a Bible-believing church. If you believe that the Bible is our God book for living, somebody shout amen this morning. If you can't tell, I'm a little passionate about the Word of God, and uh, I do not take it lightly uh, this morning filling in for our pastor, but I also do not take lightly the responsibility of communicating the gospel and the Word of God. I'm passionate about it. I love it. I love Jesus, and uh, I'm thankful for the privilege and the opportunity to do this and to do it on my birthday. And so we have been in a series, if you have not been here, we've been in a sermon series called Distracted. Look at your neighbor and say, don't get distracted. Look at the person on the other side of you and say, I came here for the word, don't get on my nerves now. I was going to say don't get distracted, but that came out. I don't know why that came out. Maybe somebody needed to hear that today. Um, I'll tell you, I was going to go in a different direction today. I was actually going to preach a completely different message, and I could not get away from the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and so I guess there was someone on Wednesday night who wasn't listening, and so this is your second opportunity to hear if you weren't listening on Wednesday night. That's a joke. (laughs) No one laughed. Uh, Just kidding with you. Just kidding. Um, But I did feel like I was going to go in a different direction and and just really felt prompted of the Lord uh, to talk about this today. So let me just give you a recap. If you haven't been here, or maybe you've missed a few weeks, or a couple of weeks, or one week in the series, uh, in week one, Pastor Scott talked about uh, how he felt like the Lord was saying that it's time for the church to regain our focus. And he talked about the three ways, or the three primary ways or areas that the enemy can distract us. And the second week, he talked about being distracted from God's presence. And then in week three, he talked about going from distraction to dysfunction. And so this morning, as we continue our distracted series, I want to talk to you on the subject, uh, the distraction of disobedience. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be disobedient. If you're taking notes this morning, the distraction of disobedience. It's no surprise that we're living in spiritually dark times. Uh, the Apostle Paul even told Timothy in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Another translation reads this way, In the last days perilous times will come. The word perilous means exposed to imminent risk of disaster or ruin. And what this means is that as our world approaches the end times, which draws closer each day, there will be times of great hardship, moral decay, and spiritual challenges. But we must be reminded, just as Paul reminded Timothy, that even though we're living in spiritually dark days and more perilous times are to come, we cannot allow that to distract us or detour us from walking in complete obedience to the call of God on our lives. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. You'll have to excuse my voice today. 
uh, I was perfectly fine yesterday, and I woke up this morning and felt some scratchiness in my throat. And so uh, this morning as I was in here praying, I just had to put the enemy in his place and let him know that he was not going to take my voice uh, because I belong to Jesus. Amen. Uh, he goes on to explain uh, in that same chapter, uh, verses 2 through 5, he says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He goes on to tell Timothy to avoid such people. And so what am I saying to you today? That in the face of perilous times, in summary, Paul challenges Timothy to continue to remain steadfast in answering the call. He challenged him to stay rooted in the word of God. He challenged him to remain faithful in his calling, to preach the word with conviction, with courage, with power, regardless of the circumstances. Can I tell you today, church, I believe that more than ever before, it's time to answer the call. As I was praying this last week, I felt like the Lord said to me, it's time, Caleb. And so in the, in the same vein, I echo what our lead pastor has challenged us to do uh, as we've been going through this sermon series, and that is to regain our focus. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to regain our focus and to answer the call. I believe perhaps the reason the Lord is speaking to us in this season about regaining our focus and not being distracted is because He needs us to be prepared for what's coming. He needs us to be uh, in a place that we don't miss what he's about to do through the church because we are his church. Amen? I believe the church is getting ready to come into a great season, but the enemy wants you and I to be distracted because if he can distract us from God's purpose, he will cause us to miss what God wants to do in us and through us. And unfortunately, too often the distraction of disobedience prevents us from answering the call. But you see, I don't believe that any of us just wake up one day and decide, I don't love God. I don't care what He desires of me. I don't want to walk in obedience to Him today. I don't believe we just wake up one day and arrive at that place. No, you see, I believe it's a gradual drifting away that causes us to be caught in the distraction of disobedience. It's a gradual misalignment of priorities. It's a gradual misalignment of the heart. In fact, Oswald Smith once said this. He said, the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so as we turn to Jonah chapter 1 today, I want to talk to you about a man who struggled with the distraction of disobedience due to the unresolved issues of his heart. You see, the more I read this story over the last couple of weeks, the more I realized that somewhere deep down there was a misalignment in Jonah's heart. Uh, there was a misalignment in Jonah's spirit that was causing him not to be unified with the mission and assignment of God for his life in this particular season. And so as you're turning to Jonah chapter 1, if you're here and you don't know the story of Jonah or it's been a while since you read the story of Jonah, let me give you a little bit of background and context to the story today. Jonah was a prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel. 
And at the time, Assyria was a rising threat to Israel, and Assyria was known, <coughs> excuse me, as a powerful and ruthless empire. They were known for their cruelty and their brutality in warfare, and they posed a significant threat to Israel. Meanwhile, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and God instructed Jonah to go and preach against its wickedness. God desired to give Nineveh a second chance if they would turn from their wicked ways and repent. But we learned very quickly that this did not sit well with Jonah. He was reluctant. He was fearful. He did not want to go. Let me ask you today, is there anybody in the room that someone's ever asked you to do something that you didn't want to do? A few of us. Has God, has God ever asked you to do something or go somewhere that you didn't want to do or you didn't want to go there or you just didn't do it, period? <laughs> Only a few of us are being honest in the room this morning. You see, I believe this story can relate to the church so well and that God wants to give every sinner a second chance, no matter how deep their sin or their issues, no matter how dark their secrets, no matter what they've done or how bad of a person they have been, and he's calling us, the church, to be a light in places of darkness and spiritual wickedness. And he's calling us to go forth and declare the word of the Lord and share the love of Christ. But yet so often many of us, perhaps even some of us in this room today, are running from the call. Let me ask you today, what is it that causes us to run from the call? I want you to ponder that for a moment. What causes us to run from the call? What is it that causes us to drift into a place of disobedience? To go in the opposite direction of God's plan and purpose for our life? What distracts us or detours us from answering the call of God on our life? I believe there were three major things that I see that created a distraction, if you will. A spirit of disagreement, a spirit of misalignment or disunity and disobedience in the life of Jonah. And ultimately hindered him from answering the call of God wholeheartedly. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want to talk about that I see in the life of Jonah that hindered him from answering the call of God wholeheartedly is number one, complacency. Complacency. We pick up in Jonah chapter 1 starting in verse 1 and it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Let's read that again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Even here in verse 1, I get so passionate because I, in myself, I don't understand, not that I'm perfect because God knows I'm far from perfect. I've made many mistakes in my life. But as someone who has tried my best in this life to be faithful and obedient to God and do what he's asked me to do, I don't understand how if the Lord was to come to us and say, I have a word and I'm choosing to use you and I want you to go over here to these people and declare the word of the Lord to them. I don't understand why someone would not want to do that. I don't understand why someone would go in the opposite direction of what the Lord was asking them to do. So he goes on in verse 2 and he says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. 
He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And this is where it gets a little crazy. He says, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Think about this this morning. There was a great need for Jonah to go to Nineveh to a spiritually dark and wicked place to declare the word of the Lord. And instead he went in the opposite direction. And not only did he go in the opposite direction, he paid money to go in the opposite direction of what the Lord was asking him to do. Maybe it's just me that something resonates in my heart. I don't understand. Not only would you run from the call of God, but pay money to get as far from the presence of God as you can. To get as far in the opposite direction of what God is calling and asking you to do. For Jonah, Tarshish represented a place of avoidance, escapism, a place to escape the difficulty of the responsibility. Little did he know it would cost him more than he wanted to pay in the long run. We pick up in verse 4, it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each of them cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. And maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. I want us to notice that even in Jonah's disobedience and rebellion, there was still an opportunity to reach lost people. But Jonah was so complacent that he was sleeping with no concern. Jonah had become so complacent that he no longer had concern for the lost. He had begun walking a path void of conviction and void of compassion. The need was so great, thank you, that the sailors on the boat had reached a place of despair and hopelessness. In fact, the storm was so severe and the sailors were so terrified that the Bible says in one translation that the captain of the ship shouted at Jonah, How can you sleep? How can you sleep? As I was reading this passage again this week, it was like in the spiritual sense I could hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, How can you sleep? In a plea to awaken the church. In a plea to awaken those who He has called for such a time as this. Spiritually speaking, we are out here on the unforgiving, unrelenting seas of life and there are people drowning in the waves of their own sin and depravity. They need someone to answer the call. They need someone to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus to them before it's too late so that they can climb aboard the ship of eternal life. I can almost hear the captain of the vessel calling out and his name is Jesus and he's calling out to the church and he's calling out to a generation and he's saying, how can you sleep? Now is not the time to be sleeping. There are people in this city, people in this community, people in your very workplace who are drowning and they need what you possess because you have a living God on the inside of you. And each of us as believers have an assignment to declare the word of the Lord 
wherever we go. You see, Jonah's complacency hindered someone else's opportunity. You and I must understand the severity of the dark times we're living in and realize that our obedience is someone else's opportunity. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, your obedience is their opportunity. Come on, look at the person on the other side of you. Say, your obedience is their opportunity. Y'all awake this morning? As we prepare for school to start back this month, there's a great need in front of us. I would dare to say that many families here at Harrison Faith, even in the last year, have experienced life change and freedom, whether it was through surrendering your life to Jesus during a weekend service, whether it was encountering God's presence during a worship night, whether it was taking the next steps and going public through water baptism, Somewhere along the way, a part of this great church, you have experienced life change. And as a result of the life change you've experienced, there is an assignment for you. Look at your neighbor and say, there's always an assignment linked to transformation. You see, I believe more than ever before that God is calling us to go out and be modern day Jonas. And go into the dark places, into the highways and the byways. And declare the word of the Lord and let people know of the hope of Jesus Christ. And that if they will turn from their sinful ways and repent, that we serve a God of second chances. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Don't get distracted. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, don't get distracted. Church, can I challenge you and warn you today to be careful of complacency Because complacency can lead to the distraction of disobedience. If you're taking notes today, it's a good place to start. You see, complacency claims the fathership of God without the followership of God. Complacency claims to worship Him, but doesn't obey Him. Jonah confessed with his mouth, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, but yet was actively on the run from the one he claimed to worship. Can I ask you today, are you running? Are you running from the one who called you? What are you running from that you should be walking in obedience to? The sailors realized the severity of Jonah's disobedience more than he did as they said to him, what? Have you done? Can I ask you today, do you know what God is calling you to do? Are you running? And if you're running, why? Number two, the second thing I believe that began to be a distraction to Jonah was closed-mindedness. If you're taking notes, number two, closed-mindedness. We fast-forward To Jonah chapter 4, pick up in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 4, and it says this, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall, or that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. 
I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you're slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew that you're a God who relents from sending calamity. And listen to what Jonah says in verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord replied to him, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and He'd gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So here we have fast-forwarded to Jonah chapter 4, where Jonah finally decided he was going to do the right thing and make the trip to Nineveh and say what the Lord wanted him to say. And in response, the people of Nineveh did the unthinkable. They repented and they turned from their wicked ways. And so the Bible says the Lord changed his mind. He did not destroy them, but he gave them a second chance. And that's why we see here in chapter 4 why Jonah is so angry. Jonah's closed mindedness stemmed from some deeper issues within his heart that I want to elaborate on this morning. The first one is this. We see that Jonah had reached a place of prejudice in his life. He was prejudiced. Jonah had a deep-seated prejudice against the Ninevites who were the enemies of his people. He saw them as wicked and undeserving of God's mercy, which blinded him to their potential for repentance and change. Have you ever got to the place in your life that perhaps you've thought to yourself, They don't deserve God's mercy. Why should I tell them about Christ? They don't care. They're not listening. They don't deserve His grace. They don't deserve His mercy. Can I tell you today, friend, neither do you or I. I don't deserve the mercy of God. I don't deserve the grace of God. I've made many mistakes in my life. But what I've found to be true about Jesus is that he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that even when I found myself in the valley, even when I've messed up big time, he comes with open arms and he says, if you'll just bend down and on bended knee at an altar, if you'll just repent, if you'll just come back to me, I'm a God of second chances. Can I remind you today, church, there's people in Boone County. There's people in this community There's people in this region who need what you possess. And for you and I to stand back and go, they're not going to listen. They don't deserve it. That's prejudice. Whether it looks like someone is going to receive or not. Whether it looks like we know what we're doing or not. Whether we know the Bible fully back, uh, back to front or not. Just do what God asks you to do. Because God knows what he's doing. And our God is a God of second chances. The second thing that I see about Jonah was his patriotism. Now, don't get offended at me here. Because I, of all people, am thankful for the United States of America. I'm thankful for this country. I'm thankful 
for the place that I get to live and the freedoms that I get to enjoy. And more importantly, I'm thankful for people even in this very church who have served to protect those freedoms. I'm thankful for people who are currently serving to protect those freedoms. And I'm indebted to them forever. But there comes a place where we must understand when it comes to the call of God on our lives. Our loyalty is to Jesus Christ first. And if he's called you to do something, it's time to answer the call. Jonah, you see, was more loyal to his people than to God's people. He was more concerned with the welfare of his nation than he was with the spiritual well-being of those who were lost or those he considered to be outcasts. Too often we can allow our loyalty as an American or our loyalty to our people to override our loyalty as a Christ follower. Patriotism. The third thing I see in Jonah's life that was an unresolved issue in relation to what God was asking him to do was bitterness. Jonah had reached a place in his life that it was so hard for him to answer the call and do what God was asking him to do because somewhere deep down, Jonah had become bitter. Jonah's consistent wrong attitude and tone portrayed the belief for me that he had personal grievances or bitterness against the Ninevites, which further fueled his lack of compassion towards them. As I read this book over and over the last couple of weeks, I could consistently hear the bitterness in Jonah's voice. Can I remind us today, church, that we must be careful to guard our hearts, our feelings, our emotions, that no root of bitterness sprouts up in our lives that would cause us to be closed-minded from sharing the gospel with any group of people, whether they seem to be receptive or not. None of us are deserving of the mercy of God. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, See to it that no one, look at your neighbor and say, no one. Come on, say it with some confidence and authority. Say, no one. There you go. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then he goes on to continue and say this, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We must be careful that we don't reach a place of bitterness in our life because bitterness will poison every other area of our life and it will distract us from answering the call of God on our life. Number three, the third thing I see in Jonah's life was comfort. If you're taking notes, pick up in verse six of Jonah chapter four. It says, then the Lord the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Look at your neighbor and say, this dude was happy about a plant. <laughs> but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. I feel like blazed is just such a harsh word. Have you ever been outside in the sun and you just feel like the sun is just blazing on your head? 
Like you feel like if you just stay out there for five minutes, you're just going to be so crisp. Like The sun blazed on Jonah's head and he grew faint. The next verse says he wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, here we see it again, pay attention, in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? This is where we need to listen closely. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now listen to what Jonah says. He's still bitter. I have no doubt. He says it is. It is right for me to be angry. And I'm so angry that I wish I was dead. Have you ever reached a place of bitterness in your life that you just wish you weren't even here anymore? But listen to how the Lord responds in verse 10. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And listen to verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left And there are also so many animals. And kind of like a great story or a great movie with a terrible ending, that's how the last chapter of Jonah ends. It's like, what happened? You can't leave me hanging like that, God. But God uses this analogy, if you will, to try to help Jonah understand that there was a misalignment in his heart. His thinking was off. His priorities were not straight. He had it twisted. Somewhere, somehow, a wrong attitude and a wrong spirit crept into Jonah's heart. And slowly but surely, he was caught in the sticky web of the distraction that turned into disobedience. Jonah had come to a place where he was more concerned about having comfort for himself than showing compassion towards the lost. He was more concerned with his own physical comfort and personal desires than the plan and the purposes of God. Jonah's complacency, closed-mindedness, and comfort had pulled him into a place of spiritual dismemberment, a place of spiritual fragmentation and brokenness, a place where his spiritual unity, his spiritual connection, and his spiritual compass were all in danger of being lost. And whether we believe it or not, too often in the church we can easily become so distracted by things like a spirit of disagreement, a spirit of disunity, and before you know it we find ourselves in a place of disobedience, all because we allowed a wrong attitude or a wrong spirit to creep into our hearts. As we get ready to close today, worship team can make your way back. Let me ask you this question. Where do you stand today in your walk with God? Where do you stand as a member of the body of Christ. 
Are you running? Listen to me this morning. Are you running? Are you distracted? Have you allowed yourself to drift? Have you perhaps allowed a wrong attitude or a wrong spirit to make its way into your life? Have you perhaps been distracted by a spirit of disagreement, a spirit of misalignment, or disobedience? What is it that's hindering you in this season of your life from answering the call of God for you? Can I tell you today, the hour is much too late for the church to be distracted or divided by disobedience. I'll say it again. The hour is much too late for the church to be distracted or divided by disobedience, misalignment, disagreement, bitterness, unforgiveness, whatever it is this morning, I came on assignment to see that the word of God would speak to our hearts that every stronghold would be broken and that the church could advance and move forward and not be distracted but do what he's called us to do so that we might not only reach Boone County but we might reach a region and not only would we reach a region but it would begin to overflow onto the state of Arkansas. Why? Because the church was no longer distracted but the church came together and was willing to answer the call of God on their life. I'll share with you a quick story, kind of a funny story. Does anybody remember uh, this past Monday night, I believe it was, when the storm came blowing in? Does anybody remember that? Anybody? Anybody that's awake? Do you remember the storm? (laughs) I think for some people and in some areas it was worse than others. But I was sitting in my living room Don't judge me. I was still awake. Should have been asleep. But I happened to be on Monday night sitting in my living room at midnight, which was right about the time the storm was getting ready to say, I'm here. I was sitting in the living room on the couch, and can I tell you, it was quiet as a mouse. I mean, quiet as a mouse. The cows in the field across from my house, I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they were picking up on the weather. But I texted my wife at midnight and I said, I swear there's a cow outside the window. Because they were like, ah! I'm like, what are y'all doing? It's midnight. And so I'm sitting there, quiet as a mouse. Cows are going nuts. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm telling you, like, I'm not a person that really watches the news a lot. I don't pay attention to the weather most of the time. It's someone around me saying, hey, do you know it's going to rain today? Hey, do you know we're going to have a storm today? Thanks for the news. I had no idea. And it was so quiet in my house. And within seconds... The wind picks up and it's going crazy. My phone starts blowing up 
And in all caps, it says, National Weather Service. And it says, 80 mile an hour winds. Take shelter. And I'm like, oh my Lord. I'm just sitting here on the couch and I hear the cows going crazy. And out of nowhere, the wind picks up and the storm comes in. What am I trying to say? In that moment, that Monday night, I was reminded as quickly as that storm came out of nowhere and I had no idea, I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me that that's how quickly it will be when the Lord returns. It will be a suddenly moment. It will be a blink of an eye moment. You and I may not even be thinking about it. People in this world may not even be concerned about it. People in this world may not even have a relationship with Jesus. And in a split moment of time, the Lord's coming back. Can I remind you in closing, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is addressing the Thessalonian believers and he says this, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. He goes on to say, when people are saying everything is peaceful and everything is secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you are not in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you will not be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We do not belong to darkness and night. And listen to what Paul challenges, starting in verse 6. So be on guard. In other words, he echoes the voice, I believe, of the Holy Spirit that's saying, Do not sleep. How can you sleep? Be on guard. And not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. For night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed. Protected by the armor of faith and love. And wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. He goes on to say, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not to pour out his anger on us. For Christ. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns we can live with him forever so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing he says encourage each other with these words that the day of the Lord's return is coming like a thief in the night it's coming like if you're sitting in your living room at midnight having no idea that it's coming. It's coming. And can I remind you today, church, I share this in closing, that time is running out. The waves are crashing and the wind is howling. And even in the face of dangerous and perilous times, it's time for the church to regain our focus and make every effort to be unified in heart, in mind, in mission. It's time for the modern day Jonas to say yes and arise and go. It's time to declare the word of the Lord, to share your testimony, to share the love of Christ, to share the message of hope in the face of darkness, despair, and hopelessness. Do not be ashamed of the gospel.
Paul declares in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ, for it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Will you stand with me this morning? my voice this morning that the word of the Lord came clear today. If perhaps you've been in a place similar to this, (coughs) excuse me, and for whatever reason you've allowed a spirit of disobedience to distract you, God desires to give you a second chance In fact, what's so amazing about the story of Jonah is not only did God give the people of Nineveh a second chance when they repented, but he also gave Jonah a second chance after he ran in the opposite direction the first time. And so as we close today, I want to remind you that at the end of the day, there are two calls that we must respond to in this life. Number one is simply the call to come. It's the call to come. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's the call to come. And at some point in this life, you and I will have to respond to this call. And today I would plead with anybody who has not responded to that call. And as we're living in perilous times, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. There's a second chance waiting on you. There's a God and a Savior who's standing here. He's not standing here like this, saying, shame on you. I can't believe you did that. No. Don't you know he's God? He knows everything. There's a God and a Savior who's standing. And he's waiting just like this. And he's saying, if you just come. If you just come. Is there anybody here today that maybe the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart? Can I remind you today that Jesus is standing, I believe. And he's saying, just come. If you'll just come, I don't care about your mistakes. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your failures. I don't care about what you've done, what you've said. I don't care about... I don't care. If you'll just come, we'll make it right. And then, there's the call to come. And there's the call to go. And I believe perhaps there's many people in this room today that you need to respond to one of the two of these responses today. Because there's really just two at the end of the day. When you read the Bible, it's the call to come and the call to go. The call to go is simply this. Some of you are already familiar with 
the scripture I'm going to quote it's Matthew 28 19 and 20 therefore go go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always even to the very end of the age so as the worship team gets ready to lead us in this moment and as we're standing I just want to give the opportunity prayer team if you guys feel comfortable and you guys want to come and be along the front and we'll have prayer workers available if you'd like for somebody to pray with you but this is the call it's either the call to come or it's the call to go either you're here today or you're watching online and today is the day that you need to make the decision and say God I'm sorry I've been running but I'm ready to surrender my heart and my life to you and I come to you and I receive your rest or today's the day that as a born again believer you say God I'm sorry I've been running but today's the day that I'm asking you to send me wherever that means whatever that means but I'm here to respond to the call to go I believe it's one of those two and so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to pray and then if that's you if you need to respond to either one of these calls I'm going to ask you to come and we're just simply going to be available to pray with you and believe God to do whatever he needs to do in your heart and in your life God we thank you for your word I thank you Lord that your word says it will not return void I thank you for the church, the capital C church. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is calling your people to do one of two things, to either come or to go. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to every heart in this room. I pray that you would prompt every heart, Lord, that needs to come forward this morning and come into a relationship with you. I pray that you would prompt every heart that needs to come forward this morning and go and make disciples and do what you've asked them to do. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Do what only you can do. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, would you come this morning?